for me, just lots of things going on, topped off with two graduations, Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge, Thursday, five women, Friday, five men. It was great. And God being faithful within that. Today we were supposed to actually have a child dedication earlier of little Erica Kemper. And um, she got sick. But we trust that God will be faithful for a future time to, to celebrate her life and, and to celebrate, you know, her dedication to the Lord. So we trust that the Lord will meet us and that He will indeed be faithful within that, even though it didn't work out with our plans. So here's something I want you to think about. What are some mysteries that is something that was previously unknown, but now revealed, that over time have been na- made known to mankind? And I, I'm, I'm going to be very simple because the list could be infinite with science and technology. But just think about this. Why is it that when you get on a raised platform, like a mountaintop or something like that, you can actually see farther on the horizon than when you're lower? Well, it's because the earth is round, right? Not flat. That is something that mankind discovered over time. Why is it (laughs) during the Civil War, more people died of disease than they did of the actual wounds that were afflicted upon them? Well, you see, the field surgeons would go along with their instruments, make their cuts or their fixes or whatever they did, saw bones off, it was pretty gruesome. And then what they did was they wiped their instrument on their sleeve or their apron and went on to the next person. We didn't know or didn't discover that there were germs or bacteria or things there. And then when that got discovered, that changed, didn't it? Why is it not a good idea to marry your first cousin, let alone your brother or your sister? Genetic inbreeding increases the chances of harmful, negative, recessive traits. Like in the case of Queen Victoria, who married, I believe, her first cousin, and their children had hemophilia. And one of the great mysteries of life, why is it that the burger patties from White Castles have multiple holes in them? This was shared with me by next-gen pastor Neil Johnson this week. It's because, actually, when you fry them with those holes in them, it takes less time for those things to be fried up and you don't actually have to flip them. A little known fact. Don't say it wasn't worth the price of admission today. So, last week, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Colossians, and if you want to open that letter up, you can, uh, we're going to be at the very end. He was admonishing this young church in Colossae to continue in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To stand firm and established in it, not move from it. And of that gospel, that message says, I am its servant. So now as we continue on, Paul is going to write a little bit about his own journey, about bringing that gospel to them. Again, Paul wants to ground them in this gospel message, this gospel reality. And he wants them to know a few things. Number one, there is a price 
to be, ta- to be paid for the gospel to spread. Number two, this good news was once a mystery. It was unknown. Not known to them, especially. Number three, that there is a process in this proclamation. And there's a purpose, and there's a source of its power. So we'll see how this all unfolds in Paul's letter to the Colossians. But let me pray, and then we'll dig in. So Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have come to seek and save the lost. That you are the embodiment of the gospel that has been made known. And that you have opened our eyes to that. So, Lord Jesus, would you, with your Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts today that we may respond to you in spirit and in truth. And Heavenly Father, thank you because great is your faithfulness. You've been faithful to us in sending your Son, and now be faithful to your word that you've given us And we know that it won't return void. So we trust you for that. We thank you for that. And Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. So here we are in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh... What is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church? I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So what Paul is sharing with his this young church is as I call them his kind of spiritual grandchildren through Epaphras is really autobiographical of his bringing forth the gospel what he's he's experienced and the truths that are involved. So the first thing I think he wants them to know, and for us to know, that the gospel does not move forward without cost. The gospel does not move forward without cost. Now these first two verses, 24 and 25, could be the most misunderstood verses in this passage because it looks like Paul's saying something that maybe he's not. Let's read them again. Now rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body which is the church i become its servant by the commission god gave me to present to you the word of god in its fullness and this was one of the questions that came out for the q a sunday we had a few weeks ago so day today you get the answer and if you don't like what i say then come talk to me afterward but at first glance 
it looks like Paul is saying that somehow through his own physical afflictions for the, the sake of, of the gospel, that he's adding to Christ's atoning work. That's what it looks like at first glance. But that's not what he's saying. He is adding something, but it's not atonement. First of all, this word that's used for afflictions, as it's translated here in the NIV, could be also translated as tribulations, and it is in, in the New Testament, is never attributed to Christ's atoning work in the New Testament. So just the use of the word here, it's not, it's not used like that. Second of all, when it is used, it's in the context of hardships or afflictions or trouble or tribulations, as I said, experienced by believers or others, and very often in the context of believers experiencing tribulation or persecution and hardships in seeking to make the gospel known. That is the cost that comes along with making it known. And for Paul, again, this is very personal. Because if you read Acts 9.16, as Ananias is, is... arguing with God about whether he's going to come alongside this Paul of Tarsus who's been an enemy. And, and Jesus says, no, I, he's going to be my chosen instrument. And he says to him, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He is my chosen instrument. That's going to be part of the deal. I'm going to tell him ahead of time, I'm, going to, I'm entrusting you to bring the gospel to the Gentiles but you're going to suffer greatly for my name. That is the cost. And here's some Paul's uh, commentary on this as he talks to the, the, the Corinthian church, those who think he's less than qualified to be an apostle. He says, I've been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? I know what it is, Paul's saying, to pay the price for the gospel to advance. In fact, he says in this letter to them, verse 24, I am suffering for you, Colossians. For the sake of his body, that is the church, which I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you to the word to the to present the word of God in its fullness. And we'll find out later on the next verse that it is the mystery that's been hidden for ages in verse twenty six. But there is the gospel doesn't go forward without cost, and Paul is experiencing the cost. He's in prison as he's writing this letter. As we know from church history, it will cost him his very life. Paul following Jesus did not become healthy, wealthy, and wise. He paid a price. 
The second century church father Tertullian says this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. As we see a pattern over and over in God's Word and in in church history, Stephen, who's proclaiming the gospel to fellow Jewish brethren, will be stoned. And persecution will come upon the church. But you know what happens next? The gospel spreads throughout Judea into Samaria. Paul himself, when he goes out on his journeys, he experiences tribulation, opposition, persecution, and the gospel spreads to the Roman Empire. Other apostles, they go out. They preach the gospel. They experience persecution. All of them are killed except John the apostle, but the gospel spreads. Over church history, Christians were so convinced that they had the gospel that they actually allowed themselves to be sold into slavery that they might take this gospel to pagan slave owners. They experienced tribulation, they experienced enslavement, but the gospel spreads. Missionaries. And, you know, missionary business has, has taken a great turn now that we have the airplane. But think about it. They would decide that God has called them to go someplace. They would get on a boat and sail for weeks, for months even. And many of them never returned back to home. They would never see their home, their family. And some of them experienced hardship. Some of them even gave up their life. But the gospel spread into this world. <laughs> Jimmy Elliot and the Alka Five trying to reach this Alka Indians in the Amazon jungle in Ecuador. They're dropping gifts. And they know it's a risk. But one day they land on the sandbar. And even though they're armed, they decide we're not going to attack back if we're attacked. As the story goes, they all give up their lives. The Alka Indians have no idea who these guys are, and they kill them. But months later, it makes room, years later, for them, for their families to actually move into the tribe and share the gospel with them. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The gospel does not advance without cost. The gospel had come to the, to the Colossians with the willingness of Paul to be obedient and pay the price. To go to prison, ultimately, is life. But he rejoices. I says, I rejoice in this. Because the life of Christ is coming to you. And he's changing your lives. And I have the privilege to be its servant. I have the privilege to be a servant of the church. And I rejoice, and I don't mind giving up myself. I don't mind being spent. Because it's my privilege to do so. This week, a a group of us from Berean got to hear a couple broadcasters from the Far East Broadcasting Company. If you don't know what that is, it's it's a radio station organization that broadcasts the gospel, especially into the former Soviet Union uh, 
you know, countries, including Russia itself today. But the guy who's the leader for Ukraine spoke to us, and it was powerful. And let me tell you what's happening right now with those broadcasters. All of them, except one, have lost their homes. They are broadcasting from bomb shelters, from anywhere they can. They're, they're on the run. Their lives are in, in danger. And yet that gospel is reaching millions and millions. They are preaching life where there's only death. And they're, gonna will, they're willing to keep doing it. Some of them have lost loved ones and the next day continue to preach the gospel. Because death is not the end. That doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not difficult. They're paying the price, but they consider it worth it. And they're willing to give up their lives for it. And I will tell you, listening, it was humbling. It was tremendously humbling. And I'm not saying that to shame anyone. I'm just saying it's, it's humbling that their commitment to give themselves for the gospel. The Colossians see that Paul is willing to be spent. That's what he wants them to know for their sake, for the gospel. And here's the question that I think we're all asking ourselves. Am I willing to be spent? In what way am I willing to be spent? And, you know, here in the United States, it's not as pronounced as it is in, in other places in the world. But are we willing to appear foolish or unpopular or give up some of our comfort or our time or energy or, if Christ would call us, our life for His sake? John Stott, the Anglican evangelical preacher, said this, to reconcile us, to reconcile himself to us, and us to himself, and Jews and Gentiles, and other hostile groups to each other, cost him nothing less than the painful shame of the cross. But we have no right to expect, therefore, that we shall be able to engage in conciliatory work at no cost to ourselves. Whatever involvement in the dispute as the offending or offended party or as the third party anxious to help enemies to become friends again. That's just what it comes with. The cost of advancing the gospel means there's cost to us. But ultimately, it's not a great loss. It's not a great loss. Because I want to remind you what Jesus says to us about those of us who would follow Him. In Mark chapter 34, verses 36, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Folks, let's not get dragged into the lie that if we have the whole world, we have life. We do not. That is spiritual junk food. 
If you have Christ, you have life. And we have the privilege to make that good news known. In order for the gospel to move forward, Christ followers must be willing to be spent. There's a cost. And it's worth the cost. In fact, it's worth rejoicing in. Number two. The gospel moves forward as its mystery is made known. The gospel moves forward as its mystery is made known. And we're going to back up to verse 25 again. I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of, of God in its fullness. When Paul says that, he is not saying, I came to preach the entire Bible to you. I came to preach to you really what God is doing. Verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, literally to God's holy ones or His saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think it's hard for us to really appreciate these comments because we've had the gospel. It's been made known for about 2,000 years now. We've had it. But realize, when the word comes to the Colossians, the gospel is only about 30 years old. Jesus' death and resurrection has always happened. His, his ascension is about 30 years. And, you know, there's no internet. There's no, there's no way to get this news out quickly. It just spreads as Christians go out and are willing to be spent. And now it's finally come to them in Asia Minor. And before that, they had no knowledge of who this Yahweh was. The Lord may, maybe through exposure to some Jews, but they had no idea what God was doing. It was all hidden. It was all unknown. And then to know that He sent His Son. God has a Son and He sent Him. And that He lived and that He died for our sins. And that we could be reconciled to him. And that he rose from the dead. And you could be his people. You could be his child. And you could be a saint. One of his holy ones. And have eternal life and the resurrection. Wow! That really is a mystery worth hearing. A surprise worth rejoicing in. It is truly good news. And, and and you know, if, if, if you're a student of the Bible, you know God really does, in salvation history, put in the clutch to go to the next gear in salvation history. And a lot of promises, how is that going to happen, is the question. God's plan to rescue all mankind, not the Jews, is being made known. And it answers hidden mysteries, even in the Scriptures. So how is the seed of the woman going to bruise the head of the serpent? How is the seed of Abraham going to bless all nations? How will this descendant of David rule all nations and somehow sit on God's throne forever? The answer is Christ. This is where the mystery gets, gets revealed. Who is this suffering servant 
in Isaiah 53, upon whom Lord, the Lord puts all the iniquities of all sinners upon, is ultimately answered in Christ. And he says, in verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches, or literally the riches of glory, of this mystery, which is, listen to me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I am saying it again and again for emphasis. Because that's where the riches of His glory are found. To think that the living God no longer dwells in a temple, but actually dwells in the actual believer. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He comes to dwell in you. And you will never be alone. In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> Take heart, I have overcome the world, and I will be with you. Even to the end of the age. He's present with you. You are never abandoned. And this is not only true individually, it's true corporately. There is a blessing in being a part of the people where Christ dwells within His people. As we get to minister Christ to one another, it is a blessing of being part of His body, of His church. And also, when He appears, we're going to see later on in, in this same letter, in chapter 3, when Christ who is your life, appears, you will appear also with Him in glory. When Jesus brings all of creation to its final end, and His end, and makes everything right, we will be aligned with Him, we will be on His side, and we will share in that glory. And last of all, and there are many things I could, I could highlight, your body, my body, which is slowly breaking down and decaying, and you'll hit, you'll hit the <laughs> young people, you'll hit that pinnacle, and you'll start going on the downside. And you'll start to realize that God has something better. And for some of us, that's come quicker than others. But my point is this, is God is going to transform our weak and lowly bodies to that that is like His. We have a glorious future. Christ in you is the hope of glory. One of the things I'd encourage you to do, maybe today get alone and just write that down, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And maybe under that just journal, all that that is going to mean and all that that does mean right now. Because He dwells within you He's with you. He's empowering you. He's strengthening you for this journey. And you will be glorified with Him in the end. There's so much to unpack. It could be its own sermon. But I'm gonna, I need to move on. This is mind-blowing stuff for these Gentile believers. It should be mind-blowing stuff for us. But they were previously without hope, without life. They didn't have a clue. And the gospel 
God comes to them and says, hey, you know, you and I, we were estranged, we were enemies, but I love you, and I'm reaching out to you, and I'm making known my mystery, the plan I've always had for you. Because I sent my son to live and die and rise again, that you could be reconciled to me, that you could be my adopted child, that you could experience all the life that I have, and that you could be mine forever. That is the mystery I'm making known to you. I'm revealing it to you. It's no longer hidden. And even my own people, the Jews, some of them have rejected. I've come to you. I've brought it to you. What a privilege. I don't think we realize the privilege we have in knowing the mystery of the gospel. And there are people today who do not know that truth. That's why we have to go out and pay the cost to make it known. But here's the question, and I don't know where everyone's at in this room and where you're at in your spiritual understanding, but I want to tell you, God sent His Son. He lived the life you couldn't live. He paid the price you couldn't pay. And He conquered the foe you couldn't conquer. You have the basics. What are you going to do with that mystery? Have you put your faith in Him? Because it's not enough to know it up here. There has to be a response. As the Gospel of John says in chapter 1, verse 11, or 12, I should say, to as many as received Him, even those who believed in His name, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. What have you done with this mystery that's been revealed to you? Number two, if you know this mystery and you've received it, are you making it known? Are you making it known to those around you? Or are you hiding it? Does it continue to be a mystery to those around you? We need to make this mystery known that the gospel might advance. It only moves forward as that mystery is made known. Number three, the gospel moves forward with a proclamation plan. Here at Berean, we got our three P's, don't we? Pursuing God, preparing people, and what? Proclaiming Christ. Right? But it comes with a bit of a plan. Verse 28, first of all, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. I got to tell you, um, what you're going to see on the screen, I, I forgot something in my PowerPoint, so I caught it in my notes, so You'll get the full thing. You just have to listen to me as well, okay? Number one, what is the thing we proclaim? We proclaim Christ. We proclaim Him. Not a religious self-improvement plan. Not a heightened esoteric spiritual experience. That's what the Colossians are fighting against or they're enduring with some false teachers. Not even the benefits. Now listen to me. 
Not even the benefits of being a part of the church. There are so many benefits. Some people want to join the church so they can, you know, have some place to have their wedding. That's not a good reason to join the church. The only reason to be a part of the church is if Christ meets you through his people. But we proclaim him. We proclaim Christ. Christ crucified and Christ risen from the dead. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the Savior. He is the change agent. And He is the Lord. That is the heart of our proclamation. Nothing else. No one else. And number two, we proclaim, we make a proclamation with admonition or warning. Because Christ came to save people. You cannot stay the same. You cannot go on as business as usual. Judgment awaits you by a holy God. And we have to repent and we need to respond. We need to turn towards Him. There's some bad news before you get the good news in the Gospel. Number three, this is what I missed. We must pro, uh, Proclamation is with teaching. Because the Gospel is simple in one sense. But learning to put Everything under the headship of Christ is not simple. You're bringing all of your life to that. So there's a teaching element. And you know what? There's a lot of information to know about what God has done throughout history in His Word. So there's a teaching element as well. And the proclamation is with wisdom. There's not a one-size-fits-all Proclamation of the Gospel. The Apostle Paul proclaimed the Gospel a lot differently in Athens, in Acts chapter 17, than he did in Jerusalem, in Acts 23. You're going to approach people differently with their background, what they know, where they're from. Many of you may have heard of Don Richardson, who was a missionary to natives in Arian Jaya, formerly Papua New Guinea. And he was trying to proclaim Christ to literal cannibals. People who would kill other people from one tribe and eat them. So he moved in with the tribe, started sharing with them, and was telling them the gospel and was really disheartened when Judas was the hero in their eyes. Because, you see, in this culture, they valued treachery. They valued being able to pull the wool over your enemy's eyes and then stick it to them. But you know what happened? There was a war between tribes. And people were dying. And life was getting a lot more miserable. And so a, an offering for peace was made. And it was what was called a peace child. The chief of one tribe gave his son to the chief of another tribe. And as long as that child lived, there would be peace between these two tribes. And that was Richardson's inn with the gospel. God has given His Son in order that there might be peace 
between him and yourself. And it transformed the tribe. But if Richardson wasn't willing to stay there to pray, say, God, what, how do I reach these people? Because they have no idea. And our values are completely different. And yet there was that witness that God showed. Last week I had the, the privilege of leading the ELPF meeting here, Evangelical Leaders and Pastors Fellowship. And we had a gentleman named Ron Flack come and share. And I just thought this was tremendously instructive. Because his primary ministry is to Muslims in town. And what's a, something that's very interesting in, in our next-gen pastors dealing with this, actually, is in the Muslim culture, when somebody dies in your family, you have like three days to mourn, and then you've got to get over it. There's no place to talk about your grief in Muslim faith. And it's, it's like you're being a traitor. It's like you're... And so they can't talk about it amongst themselves. But you know who they will talk to about it? Christians. Because they know we're open to talking about that. How, how God can meet you in your grief. And so Ron said, you know what? Sit down with a Muslim, ask them to share their story, and somehow they will reveal to you how Jesus needs to save them. I thought that was really insightful. But we need wisdom in that. It can't be, here's the four spiritual laws, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Maybe that's a starting point, but I think we should start with listening. I think we should start with listening. Next, there is a purpose for this presentation. That everyone would be complete in Christ. The goal of sharing the gospel is not just conversions. Not just agreeing. I raised my hand. I signed the card. I prayed the prayer. No, it is a transformation of being a child of darkness to a child of light and allowing God to live his life in you and allowing Jesus to do in them what you cannot what they cannot do themselves and the goal that God has for us is that we grow into Christ's likeness as Romans chapter 8 verse 29 talks about we're not making converts we're making disciples Jesus says go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to observe all that I've commanded. All of their life under my headship. That's the Father's purpose. And that's the purpose in our proclamation. That we grow up into Christ's likeness. And last of all, there's power for this proclamation that comes from Him. Verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. There is human strain. There is human energy. The word we have here, um, contend, literally means agonize. It's where we get the word agony. With all of his energy that so powerfully works within me. Yes, we make a choice to say, okay, I'm going to give my best effort. I'm going to give myself. But ultimately I'm trusting that it is the Lord who's at work in me. He's going to bring about His good end. 
He's going to do it in me and through me. I guess the best, the best thing I can think of is, as an illustration is, and I've shared this before, when I was 20 years old, I spent a year running a jackhammer for Pacific Gas and Electric. A 90-pound jackhammer. And here's the thing about that. You cannot control that thing. You start, you start it up, and it will shake you to death if you're not careful. But what I learned was to let it do the work. That didn't mean I didn't have to add some effort. But when I let it do the work, all of a sudden, it was much easier. And I got so much work done. When I tried to control that thing, I just got shook to death. It's the same thing with following Christ. It's just trust Him, abide in Him, move forward in faith, and let Him do the work. Let Him do the work. You can't control it. You just have to let him do the work. And that should encourage us. Because folks, there are so many times when I go, Lord, this is so much bigger than me. I do not have the talent. I do not have the skill. I do not have the energy. And, And the Lord says, yeah, I know, Nathan. But I do. So trust me, step forward and do that. Brian, you don't have the talent. You don't have the skill. You don't have the energy. But Christ does. And He is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Lean into that. Let Him do the work in us and among us and through us. So God in His mercy has made this mystery known. There's a cost. There is a cost. There's no doubt about that. Every time I step in and serve the Lord, I always walk away tired. But it's a good tired. There's a good spent. And we need to keep making it known. Because not everyone has heard. And when we do it, we do it with warning. Hey, you can't stay the same. With teaching, a lot to know with wisdom how does the Lord want to work in your life with purpose to present everyone complete in Christ and with his power that's what the Lord has for us today that's what he wants to do in us so now we're going to head into a time of